Meanwhile, Sheena's Jungle Room and Mid-Valley Mutations proudly present Dime Store Radio Theater! And to help you celebrate the 4th of July, we have selected some stories that will remind you of the true meaning of this occasion. Patriotic and law-abiding stories that get to the heart of truth, justice, and the American way. With savings like you've never heard of before. It's our annual 4th of July sale with deals and savings as a special thank you to you, our listening audience. Our first installment this week, Box 13, with The Philanthropist. Box 13, with the star of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd, as Dan Holliday. Dear Box 13, care of the Star Times, if that there ad of yours is on the level, if you'll go anyplace, do anything, I'll be waiting for you at 3 tomorrow afternoon in the park. I'll be sitting on one of the benches near the lake. I'll be sitting on one of the benches near the lake, and you'll know me because I got red hair. That was the letter written on the back of an old handbill. Poor Red. I wonder if he would have written a letter had he known what was going to happen. You know, I think maybe he would have. Box 13 is brought to you by Sheena's Jungle Room and Mid-Valley Mutations. And this week, brought to you by the Acme Home Depot's annual 4th of July sale. Be it home electronics or bathroom hair tonics, the Acme Home Depot has everything you need, all at one low, low price. And today, take advantage of our 4th of July sale, where you save 4% on every transaction you make. It's all part of our annual 4th of July sale at your local Acme Home Depot, where you can get deals and a whole lot more. Now, we return you to... Box 13, here on Dime Store Radio Theater. And now back to Box 13 and Dan Holliday's newest adventure, The Philanthropist. Mmm, it's sure dirty and all full of finger marks. Ah, Susie, don't be a snob. I'm not, Mr. Holliday, but it's very evident that this person isn't too particular. Why, Susie, you went through a whole sentence without shifting gears. Oh, I can be careful of my renunciation if I want to be. Oh, Susie, you had to spoil it. <laughs> Never mind, it's a fine day, so I'll be in the park by 3 o'clock to see what Red has on his mind. It was just 3 when I turned into the park. The benches by the lake were pretty well filled, and I looked around for one that was being held down by a person with red hair, and I saw him. <laughs> Susie must have been psychic, only she wouldn't have pronounced it that way. Red was dressed in a suit that must have had a tentative date with a pressing iron maybe ten years before, and didn't keep it. If he had ever shaved, the shock had been too great for his face, and he had stopped. His red hair bounced out of his head like wires, and he was eating peanuts. Good afternoon, Red. Huh? Oh, hiya, chum. Mind if I sit down? It's a democracy, ain't it? Drop, chum. You, uh, you wrote to Box 13, didn't you? Huh? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. He gave me the once-over, but good. He seemed to be satisfying himself that he'd want to talk to me. He must have checked an okay because... Uh, that end of yours, was it on the level? On the level, Red. How'd you know my name? Hunch. I have an intuitive sense for names. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, peanut? Oh, thanks. Gotta pick them up fast before the pigeons snag them. <coughs> Nothing. Say, uh, how comes a guy like you sticks that ad in the paper? Ah, uh, adventure. I use the plots for my fiction, if they're any good. Oh, you're right, huh? Well, that's my bread and butter. Tough racket? Uh, sometimes. Yeah, I guess. But you make a lot of dough? It all depends. How about you? <laughs> I'm retired. Oh. <laughs> what's on your mind, Red? Uh, what's your name? Dan. Dan Holiday. Uh-huh. Okay, Dan. Uh, Peanut? Uh, mm, no, thanks. Okay. Uh, Dan, I want to know where my pal is. Your pal? Is he missing? Yeah. Uh, we left Shy together. Then the yard bulls cut a fast clip on us and we do a split. Uh, in other words, you were separated by railroad detectives. Yeah. The best way to keep him being jugged upon a bag charge. Well, anyway, we're supposed to meet him in town. And he didn't show up. Yeah. I got in late. Had a stop off in Indianapolis. So I go to the place where Suki told me to... Suki? Yeah. Is that his name? I guess. I never heard him say no other one. All right, and then what? Well, we was going to meet here at the Hope Rescue Mission. You know where it is? I think so. At least I know the neighborhood. Yeah. Well, I wait uh, one, two, three, well, five days. But no Suki. I get worried. I ask around. But nobody's seen Suki. Well, maybe he changed his plans, Red. Without consulting me? Mr. Suki wouldn't leave without me. We're pals, buddies. We've been hitting roads for five years together. Uh-uh. Something's happened to Suki. Well, what do you want me to do? Well, I thought maybe you could help me look for him. Well, look, Red, the police could... You kidding? But if he's missing, they can locate him for you. Ah, one bag missing ain't nothing, mister. Something bad's happened to Suki. Well, how do you know? Because one of the bows in the jungle said Suki was talking about a job. <laughs> that funny, mister? Look, Red, maybe Suki did get the job and... Then why ain't I heard from him? Maybe you will sooner or later. You ain't gonna help me, then. But what can I possibly do, Red? In a city this size, it's... Yeah, yeah, I get it. In a city this size, nobody cares none about a guy like Suki. Except maybe a guy like me. He pulled me out from under a freight once. Almost got it himself by doing it. I like Suki. We're buddies. Red stared out over the lake, and somehow a little lump came into my throat. Certainly, Red was no pillar of society, but he was a man. A human being, and... Suki was his friend. For a minute, neither of us said anything, then... Okay, mister. Forget the whole thing. Sorry I got you out of bed. Oh, wait a minute, Red. Come back here and sit down. Huh? What for? I... I want to help you. Why? Well, I guess I like Suki, too. But you ain't never seen him. I don't have to. He saved your life. Risk his own. Now, what do you want me to do? <laughs> oh, you're a topper, Dan. A good guy. Suki like you, too. Well... Now, what's your idea? Well, Red had an idea that we could find out what became of Suki by going to the mission. But as Red put it, I'd have to dress differently. So that night, I wore my oldest suit. I helped it along a little by dipping it in water and letting it dry. Oh, yes, and I forgot to shave. I had something to eat, then went to meet Red at the Hope Mission. It was typical of the missions to do a great job helping, well, men who need it. Clean, neat. And when I got there, the men were just sitting down to 
supper at a long wooden table. I was looking over the room when... Good evening. How are you today? Huh? Oh, uh, fine, thanks. You're just in time for supper. Sit down, won't you? Well, you see, I... Now, now, this is your first time here, isn't it? Well, yes, it is. Well, that's perfectly all right. You needn't feel embarrassed or ashamed. Now, you come and sit down to a nice hot meal. Well, that's very nice. My but... name is Work, Mrs. Work. I superintend the mission here. Uh, my name's Dan. Very well, Dan. Now, just come with me. I followed her to the table. She made me sit down, then put a bowl of soup in front of me. I wasn't hungry. I there just you eaten, are, but... Dan. Now, just you go to it and you'll feel better in a jiffy. Uh, gentlemen, gentlemen, this is Dan. Dan, these are my boys. Hello, fellas. Is the soup all right, What's the matter? Huh? What'd you say? Something the matter? No, why? Eat the soup, then. Well, I don't... You, 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 you want to hurt her feelings? Well, of course not, but then I... Then eat the soup, bub. Look, I, I don't see how I can eat it when I just got... Look, the... look, look, you gotta eat the soup, bub, and I'll show you how. Like this. <clears throat> it's easy, see? Now eat it. Okay, okay, you start, and I'll find the right key. There. Good, ain't it? Swell. New here, huh? Yeah, yeah. Where'd you pull in from? Uh, shy. Good town. Oh, swells. You ain't eating the soup, bub. It's hot. Low on it. Okay, okay. Uh, see Red this evening? Red? Yeah, Red. Oh, Red. Yeah, he was here. Was? You mean he left? Yeah, he picked up a letter that was here for him. A letter? He picked up a letter? What are you, a spy or something? I'm a friend of Red's. Oh, well, he was here, like I said. He had a letter and beat it. Did you, uh, did you see where the letter was from? What am I, the postmaster? Shut up and eat your soup. Okay, okay, but it's still hot. Well, I ate the soup, and I stayed in the mission until 10 o'clock. Red didn't show up, and that worried me, because I knew that for all his toughness, he was anxious and worried about Suki. Then when I decided not to wait any longer... All right, gentlemen, we're going to have our song now. You'll find the song sheets on the chairs. Well, I'll see you later. Where are you going? I, I got a date. It'll keep. You heard what Mrs. Work said? We're going to sing. But I've got to leave now. You're going to sing. You ate the soup and you're going to sing. What's the matter? You don't appreciate this, huh? Of course I do. I think it's a wonderful thing, but I... Well, then sing. Here's a song she didn't Now, do. we're going to sing number four. Everyone has a sheet? Can you sing loud? Deafening at times. That's good enough. And keep on key. I don't like sour notes. Oh, I'll try to be operatic about the whole thing. Well, here, hold a sheet up. Until we can get a melodeon, we'll have to do the best we can. All right, here's the first note. Now, one, two, three. Sing, bub, sing. Right in the corner. sang, then I left. I wondered about Red and wondered about that letter. Was it from Suki? And it wasn't until the next day that I got the joke. I was in the office when Susie brought me the morning paper. Morning paper, Mr. Holiday, And the mail from Box 13. Oh, thanks, Susie. What's new in the world? Not much. And only three letters for Box 13. One from a lady who wants to know if you take babysitting. Oh, that's too much of an adventure. Then there's one from a man who wants you to leave your brain to science. Oh, great. It's great. Uh, then here's one from a woman who wants you... Hey. Hey. What's the matter, Mr. Holliday? This item in the paper here. Accident. Rail yards. Vagrant. Killed. Description. 
Hair red. Susie, I, I've got to leave for a while. I'll see you later. So what, Dad? A vag gets killed. Uh, we get a dozen like that in the year. But look, Kling, I told you about Suki. Suki, Smoky. His pal of yours was hitting the rods and he got killed. I know, I know. It happens a dozen times a year. Sure. Now look, so Red got a letter from Suki. Suki told him where he was. They're pals. Red takes off to find him, gets tangled with... You're forgetting one thing, Kling. And that's... Red had a lump on his head. So? I think he was slugged. All right, he was slugged. Got out of fight in the yards. Uh-uh, Dan. You're letting that box 13 imagination whip you around in America round. This is just one of those things. Now I've got to go to work. Suppose I turn up something, Kling. Something that proves Red was killed by somebody who wanted that letter. Then I'll be glad to fill out your dance card. Until then, rumba by yourself. Okay, but I've got a hunch that Red was killed because Suki told him where he was. And I'm going to find out where and why. Box 13 is brought to you by Sheena's Jungle Room and Mid-Valley Mutations. And this week... Brought to you by the Acme Home Depot's annual 4th of July sale. Get outfitted with tech. Or something for the outdoor deck. We have everything you need at the Acme Home Depot 4th of July sale. Where kids receive a string of firecrackers with every purchase. It's all part of our annual 4th of July sale at your local Acme Home Depot. Where you can get deals and a whole lot more. Now, we return you to... Box 13, here on Dime Store Radio Theater. And now back to The Philanthropist, another Box 13 adventure with Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. Sure, I was going to find out where and why. It sounded a lot easier than it turned out. But I still believe the place to start looking was a rescue mission. I haunted it. Went back night after night. Day after day until finally my face was as familiar there as the surface of the floor. Then one evening... Good evening, Dan. How are you? Oh, fine, Miss Work. How are you? Splendid. Do you like it here, Dan? Uh, yes, I do. I've been watching you. Somehow you don't seem like the others. Hmm? Why not? I'm no different from them. No, not in so many words. But, well... What's the matter? Dan, wouldn't you like to help yourself? Uh, how do you mean that? Oh, get a job, rehabilitate yourself. <laughs> you think I need it? All of us do, more or less. Now, there's a gentleman who's done so very much for the mission here. here. Contributions, furniture, lots of things. And? He's done quite a bit for other missions, too, I understand. I want to send you to him, Dan. Why? What can he do for me? I've sent other men to him. The ones I think are worth the effort. And you think I am, is that it? Yes, and what'll he do for me? If he likes you, he may give you a job if you want one. Uh, you say he gives jobs to other men from other missions, too? Yes, I believe so. Oh. Okay, Mrs. Work, I'll give him a whirl. Fine, Dan, splendid. I'll give you his name and address, and you go see him the first thing in the morning. Maybe this was the lead I'd been waiting for. Red had spoken about Suki going to get a job. Okay. I looked at the name on the slip of paper Mrs. Work gave me. It was Philip G. Rockman. 
And the next morning found me sitting across from him in his office. Well, well. So Mrs. Work sent you, did she? Uh, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Fine woman, splendid. Magnificent work she's doing down there. Yes, sir, it is. In my own little way, I, I try to help as much as I can. Yes, that's what she said. Mm-hmm. Uh, how old are you, Dan? Uh, 32. I see. Uh, somehow you don't seem like the usual type she sends to me. What is the usual type, Mr. Rockland? Oh, it's no matter. But uh, do you really want a job, Dan? Yes, sir, I do. Mm-hmm. For the wife and kiddies, eh? No, I'm, I'm not married. Oh, too bad. And then it's because you want to show your relatives that, uh, that you can make a comeback? I have no relatives. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted to hear. What? Well, you see, I never give jobs to men who have relatives. I feel as though I should be helping those who are out all alone in the world. I want to reach out and make men feel, well, that there is someone who cares. Uh, do you see that, Dan? Uh, yes, I do. It's very generous of you, Mr. Rockwell. Oh, nothing, nothing at all. My own little contribution toward making this a better world. Well, Dan, I think we have just the job for you, but you'll have to leave town. Leave town? You mean the job's in a different city? Well, yes, it is. But don't you worry. I pay your transportation. And not first class, but you'll get there. And it just so happens that you'll be the last one to... to take this kind of job. It's all I have. <laughs> Didn't like the way he said I'd be the last. Hmm. If this was a racket, what kind was it? What was Rockman angled? There was no way to find out, so I went to the city he sent me to. It was far enough away from Rockland to be safe and close enough so that Rockland could keep his eye on it. It was the next afternoon that I walked to the address Rockland had given me, and I knocked on the door. And... Yeah? Uh, Mr. Rockland sent me. Okay, come on in. Let me see the letter. Here. Here it is. Mm. Okay, follow me, bud. I followed him down the hallway, and I took a good look at the place while I was doing it. I noticed something. It was one of those old brownstone houses, and every window was barred. The bars weren't new. They'd been put there by the original owner. Hmm. Why should Rockland pick a place like this, then... Sit down a minute. Oh, uh, your name's Dan, huh? Yeah, 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 that's right, Dan. Had anything to eat? No. Okay, supper's in ten minutes. Go in and wash up. Uh, where? Straight ahead and to your right. There's a big washroom. Then go in the room right across when you're finished. Sure, thanks. There were about seven other men in the room talking, washing their hands, smoking. One of them looked up when I entered. He seemed to be expecting someone. Then when he saw me, he went back to washing his hands. I moved in next to him. Hiya, fella. Hi. Just come, huh? Yeah. Hey, what is this joint? <laughs> Softest touch in the world, guy. What's your name? Dan. Yours? Call me Suki. Suki? Yeah, why? You, you a pal of Red's? Red? Hey, where is he? Why didn't he come? I've been waiting for him. Red's got to get in on this thing. I, I, uh... Red... Red was killed, Suki. Kid! What are you giving me? I told Suki about Red, but I didn't mention what I was doing in the game. When I finished... Red... Red killed. He was coming to meet me here. I sent him a letter telling him all you about... You sent him a letter from here? Yeah. We ain't supposed to do no right and tell anybody about this, but Red's my pal. I wrote the letter and snuck it out, but... Suki... 
I think Red was killed because you sent him that letter. Huh? What are you yapping about? What are you... What are you doing? All right, you guys. Supper's on. Come on. Come on. I'll talk to you later, sir. Yeah, after supper in the sleeping room. Dan. Dan, you're sleeping? No. Is that you, Suki? Yeah, don't light no match. Now, what was you telling me in the washroom? Listen, Suki. First, tell me what kind of a place this is. What do you do here? Not a soft touch. Oh, we do a sort of old magazines, and then we make it kind of... Well, we write down what's in each magazine, and then... You we... mean all you do here is index magazines? Yeah. We get to live here, board and room. Grub's pretty good, only... Uh... Only what, Suki? Well, we ain't allowed to leave. We gotta stay here. Only place we go out is in the backyard. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Oh, what's the difference? It's a soft touch. We each get a couple of bucks after we've fixed up ten magazines. And... Well, what's the racket, Suki? What's the racket? There ain't none, but I... I... Hey, it's the nose counter. Make sure we're all in. I gotta get back to my bunk. The same man who let me in came through and checked each bunk. What was the angle? I lay there watching, waiting, thinking. The moonlight filtered in through the bars at the windows, and suddenly I remembered something else. The doors. Big, heavy, reinforced. Then the man came close to my bunk. I could feel him looking down at me. I must have looked as though I was sleeping like a baby. He walked on and out. And he locked the door after him. All of us were prisoners in that room. For five days, I worked like the rest of the men, sorting magazines, indexing them. A boring job that made absolutely no sense. And we were watched, but good. No letters in or out. Doors locked at night, windows all barred, two men watching us, checking us. And then one day I was taken to an office, one I'd never been in before. Rockland was there. I've called you in, Dan, because there's a little formality to be gone through. Formality? Yes, the other men have gone through it. Uh, workman's compensation policy. We'll take you to the physical examiner this afternoon. It'll be all over in a jiffy. Oh, I see. Do I have to sign anything? Oh, no, 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 no. Everything's been taken care of. It's a matter of form, you understand. Oh, uh, sure, sure. Excellent, excellent. At two this afternoon, then. So at two that afternoon, I was given a physical examination. I passed, but I was beginning to get an idea. One that made me a little sick and scared. That evening after supper, I got Suki to one side and told him what I thought. Oh, but you're crazy, Dan. You gotta be. They couldn't get away with anything like that. Listen to me, Suki. Every one of us here have been insured. Not one of us has any relatives. We've been screened, picked carefully for just that reason. But there's nine of us here. They can't kill nine guys to get that insurance. Suki, this looks like a legitimate business. Rockland hires us. We work here. We're insured for small amounts, sure. But nine men add up to $9,000 in policies. And how do we know how many more places there are like this? Ah, oh, it's nuts. It don't make sense. It'd be on a murder rap, sure as shooting. The insurance company would What get if on. it's an accident? <laughs> what kind of an accident would kill nine guys at once? That's what we've got to find out. Don't you see? Red got that letter from you. They found out about it. Red must have talked at the mission, and to keep anyone from finding out where you were, Red was killed and your letter taken off of him. D dirty. What do you want me to do? We've got to look this place over. Tonight. <laughs> night, Suki and I got out of bed before the checker came around. We made a quick tour and found out it was a perfect setup for a fire. Sure, a fire. 
locked doors, barred windows. Men trapped in there, it would be, it would be just an accident. What could anybody prove? Anybody who set up a gimmick as clever as this one would have all the angles covered and his tracks wiped out. But what are we going to do? We can't get out. We're watched every minute. We've got to get out soon. If we don't, we're cooked. And I mean cooked. Tell the other guys there's nine of us, only three of them. No, Suki, we've got to pretend we're still patsies for them. Let them think we're not wise. And don't tell anybody, Suki. Suki and I worked out a plan. The bars on the washroom windows. How's it coming, Dan? Yeah, pretty good. Chipping away the stone with a nail is slow work. Just three bars. Get three bars loose. That's all we need. Suki worked while I watched, and I worked while he watched. We finally got three bars loose. It was working against time because I was sure the thing would happen any time now. And I was right. Dan, Dan, you awake? I haven't slept for three nights. What's up? It's after 12 and the checker ain't been around. Okay, then tonight's the night. Hey, wait You're a minute. Out and wait a minute. Well, smell that? Smoke. Come on, Suki, get the other men up. This fire trap will burn like tinder in two minutes. Hurry. Yeah. Hey, you guys. You guys, wake up. Come on. Come on, wake up. Listen, there's a fire. Fire. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. There's a fire, but we'll all get out of here if you'll keep your heads. Suki, open the door. It's locked, Dan. All right, everybody. We've got to break that door in. Then go to the washroom. Three bars are loose. And then take your time getting out, and we'll all make it. All right, let's go. Out of the washroom. The other door is too heavy for us. Come on. Got out not too soon. The fire was eating that old trap as all our shoebox then. Hey, Dan, look, they're getting away. Don't let them. Hey, stop those men. Don't let them get to the car. Come on. They got guns, the dirty rats. They can't get away. Head them off at the garage. Head them off. Dan, we got them. Hold them, Suki. Okay. Now you're going to talk. About what? You'll see. Men. Listen, men. This fire was deliberately set to trap us, kill us. I'll tell you why later, but these are the men who did it. What do we do with them? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You want to talk? Yeah, I'll only keep them away from me. Suki, talk to the rest of the men. But it wasn't over. There was still one thing to be done. Rockland couldn't know things had gone wrong, so I set up a little surprise party for him. Suki and I went to him. Yes, I... Dan, what are you doing here? Having fun? Yeah. Why aren't you at work? Let me move in on him, Dan. Let me get my... Hold it, Suki. Rockland, it didn't work. Hey, what's the matter with you? It didn't work, I said. Everyone got out. Fine, fine. Got out of what? The fire. And one of your men talked, Rockland. He talked plenty. Oh? Well, it doesn't matter because you bums won't live to talk about it. Dan, look out. Okay, Dan. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. But you can shoot straighter than that, Kling. Lots straighter. Oh, my hand. My hand. Yeah, I can shoot straighter. But this is one guy I want to save. See how he likes bars on windows. Sheena's Jungle Room and Midnight Mutations has been bringing you Box 13. And this week... Brought to you by the Acme Home Depot's annual 4th of July sale. New dishes for the kitchen, or something even more bitchin'. We have everything you need at the Acme Home Depot 4th of July sale. 
where you'll find all boxed wine and red, white, and blue beer practically free. It's all part of our annual 4th of July sale at your local Acme Home Depot, where you can get deals and a whole lot more. We now return you to the conclusion of Box 13. any of those men have escaped from that awful house? Sure, Susie, sure. But when he did, he'd end up in an accident like Red. Oh. What are you thinking about, Mr. Holliday? Hmm? Oh, nothing, Susie. I was just saying goodbye to a friend. Huh? Oh, Suki. He wouldn't stay? No, he wouldn't. Oh, and that reminds me. Make out a check to the Hope Rescue Mission. Okay. For how much? I see two weeks, room and board. I, I think that's what I owe. Oh, and Susie, tack on enough for a melodeon, will you? Uh-huh. Can I do it after lunch? Sure. So what are we having? Soup. Huh? Oh, good night, Susie. Next week, same time, through the courtesy of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd stars as Dan Holliday in Box 13. Box 13 is directed by Richard Sandbell with an original story by Russell Hughes. Original music is composed and conducted by Rudy Schrager. The part of Susie is played by Sylvia Picker, and that of Lieutenant Kling by Edmund McDonald. Production is supervised by Vern Carstensen. This is a Mayfair production from Hollywood. Watch for Alan Ladd in his latest Paramount picture. Dime Store Radio Theater will continue in just a moment after this brief musical interlude. <laughs> second installment this week, The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, with The Wandering Master and the Warlord at Rest. entry, the Catch Scarlet Queen, Philip Carney, Master. Position, 4 degrees, 5 minutes south, 150 degrees, 26 minutes east. Wind fresh, sky fair. Remarks, departed Rabaul, New Britain Island at dawn with one crewman in sick bay due to trouble on ship. Reason for trouble, the wandering master and the warlord at rest. hot morning when we slipped through St. George's Channel, Blanche Bay. It had been a long leg and a slow one down into Simpson Harbor from French Indochina. But now things speeded up. In a day, we had our cargo unloaded into the China traders' warehouses, 
And on the next day, another cargo was swinging aboard, bound for a plantation on Hull Island in the Phoenix Group. At noon that day, Gallagher and I leaned on the rail, watching the whole town of Rabao gather at our pier to welcome the tubby little steamer up from Canberra by way of Fort Moresby. The crowd didn't mean that anyone of importance was arriving. The ship itself, a link with the outside world, was enough to bring out the natives with their green, blue, even yellow-dyed hair. The Orientals from Rabao's Chinatown. The portly German planters. Enough even to bring Rabaul's never-small crowd of ne'er-do-wells stumbling out of the bars and into the hot sunlight. The excitement was contagious. Red and I moved forward to watch the steamer warp her rusty stern into the dock, squeezing in just off our bowsprit, shaking the queen in her backwash, drawing the crowd to a point as her gangway went out and her passengers started to disembark. That old hunk of barnacle and rust really brings out the town, don't it, Skipper? We didn't get a show like that. Yeah, I would need it does the Lurleen in San Francisco. <laughs> That's right. But don't worry, Red, the queen's prettier. Anybody can see that. Probably leave that beat-up cub in our wake, too, with it. <laughs> the Skipper, huh? On the gangway. Red. No, it can't be. Yeah. There's that Texan mangan trailing along the stern. That's our sin. Yeah. All the way to Rapal to cross courses with us. He turned his derobed, jasmine-scented bulk tortoise, and we got a better look at that 300-pound profile. Our sin had meant trouble in Tianjin, trouble in Bali. I hoped he wouldn't mean trouble here. His mincing steps brought him closer. He flirted his handkerchief at us. Ahoy! The Scarlet Queen? Ahoy! Uh, most pleasant coincidence, sir. Most pleasant indeed. I would appreciate two of your crewmen to help me aboard. And so Mutual continues The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tallman, and starring Elliot Lewis. The Scarlet Queen, proudest ship to plow the seas, bound for uncharted adventure. Every week, a complete entry in the log. And every week, a league further in the voyage of the Scarlet Queen. The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen is brought to you by Sheena's Jungle Room and Mid-Valley Mutations. And this week, brought to you by the Acme Home Depot's annual Fourth of July sale. Do you need something for the boat? Or perhaps a new winter coat. We have everything you need at the Acme Home Depot 4th of July sale, where your patriotism can earn you unrelated savings. It's all part of our annual 4th of July sale at your local Acme Home Depot, where you can get deals and a whole lot more. And now, back to The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen. Bring me a chair, Mr. Mankin. You must see that I'm utterly exhausted squeezing under this cabin. All right, now, don't fret, Austin. I'll get you a chair. Uh-oh, this your chair is bolted down. You're going to have to walk to it. Uh, the most thoughtless arrangement. The cabin of niggas of the fortune. The babyish face glistened with perspiration. This is really quite the scent of jasmine filled the cabin. The handkerchief waved. 
the beady eyes snapped out from the folds of flesh. And his bulk finally settled into a chair. He still looked Chinese, and he still sounded like Charles Lawson. Uh, no, now, gentlemen. I must say I am greatly pleased at the twist of fate that has once more brought us together. Yeah, I said it. I said, in fact, to Mr. Mankin as we rounded Vulcan Island... There is a familiar craft. Did I not, Mr. Mankin? Oh, you sure did. He spotted you right now. Um, a fake corny. Hmm? You ain't got a little old jug hid away somewhere, Sadie. My throat is dry and frail, though. Yeah, sure, man. Red, you want to break out a bottle? We'll have around it, too. Yeah, I could use one myself. Hey. Well, now, Captain Carney, if I might inquire, what brought you to Reval? Oh, we're carrying cargo now for the China traders. Yeah? Uh-huh. Taking one out of here bound for the Phoenix Group. How about you? You have, uh... Interest here? <laughs> My dear boy, I have interest everywhere. But not at this particular moment. We are here for a rest. Are we not, Mr. Mangan? Oh, you bet you. Like we say down in Texas, we're money rich and liquor poor and loaded for birth. <laughs> Picturesquely put, Mr. Mangan. As a matter of fact, sir, Mr. Mangan and I were seated in Singapore, faced with the tedium of here transaction, there transaction, everywhere transaction. <laughs> we decided to get away from it all and... I remembered I had a small interest in the splendid hotel in Raval. And, uh, what, dear me, here we are. Are we not, Mr. Langan? Yeah, just Johnny on the spot. Uh, here's the proof. Thanks, Red. Oh, thank you, Redhead. Hey. Well, here, gentlemen. To the fate has seen us to our juxtaposition. Well, Good bottle, Red. Now, I must insist that you join us in an hour at the hotel. It's on Casarina Avenue, right at the corner of Chinatown. Yeah. You know, the last two times we were mixed up with you, Stinky, we had something you wanted. Now, just a minute, Cap. I ain't gonna stand here straddle legs and let you talk that way about all things. Thank you, Mr. Mangan. Captain Carney, I had thought that our association deserved better than this. You will admit that we've always parted, friends. Yeah. Well, all right, I said. We'll see you at the hotel in an hour. Oh, splendid, sir, splendid. We shall have a merry time. Did he say he owned this place? Oh, there he is. Well, howdy, y'all. Oh, Mangan. Yeah, Boss Ben wants you to come on back here where he's at. Come on, it's on the main floor. Oh, and listen. Hmm? He has found the cutest little old southern gal that you ever saw. Southern what? I mean real south. Freeport, Louisiana. Oh. What's she doing down here, Mangan? Oh, she's a painter. Boss Ben's buying some of her painting. I don't think they're very much, but she's doing it for money, and all saying, well, he's kind of that away now. Front through here. Yeah. She ain't much for thinking, neither. What? Yeah, she pretty. Miriam Lou Parmalee. Oh, don't that put you in mind them Louisiana pines? Not yet. I haven't seen her. Well, you're just a cold-blooded Yankee. That's how come. <laughs> all right, here's room. Mm-hmm. All right, here they are, old friend. Oh, splendid. Splendid, splendid. Hey. You find me surrounded by pleasant things, gentlemen. So I say. How do you do it, Austin? <laughs> Indeed, at times I ask myself. Uh, this gentleman is Miss Miriam Lou Parmalee. Oh, how do you do, Miss Parmalee? Uh, how do you do, both of you? Uh, Miss Parmalee is an artist of not inconsiderable ability. Oh, <laughs> See her, Captain, this painting of the natives squatting sullenly in the bush. Is it not a stirring scene, sir? Uh, yeah, that's great. Thank uh, you. Uh, she calls it Warlord at Rest. Uh, she refused to sell it to me. Well, you know, he is just the stubbornest man I ever met. It's sold. I kept telling him that. I can't sell it again. It's already sold. There you see. She is determined to resist me. Well, you're facing an honest woman, Arsene. That's your trouble. Yes, the most puzzling attribute. 
Very well. I will try to satisfy myself with my second and third choices. Well, I'm sure you'll be real happy with them, and thank you ever so much. Oh, yes, of course. The matter is closed. Ah. Now then, I have arranged for a table in the hotel dining room spread for our pleasure with food and drink. I will carry my purchases to my room and join you. Miss Parmalee, I trust that you will accept my meager hospitality. Oh. Goodness, I don't know if I ought to with all four of you men. I don't know y'all very well, you know. Oh, now, honey, me and you ain't strangers. Shotkins, we from Dexter. Yes. And I pledge to you, my dear, I shall be your chaperone. Oh, well, all right. Now, go along now, all of you. I will join you presently. <laughs> hey, this is quite a layout. Skipper. That looks all right, mate. Oh, goodness, you know, I didn't realize I was so hungry till I saw all this food. The table in the dining room was set to everyone's taste, loaded with the best the hotel had to offer. Austin joined us in about 20 minutes. Oh, there you are, Mr. Austin. Where have you been? Everything is just a taste. Ladies and gentlemen, in an effort to provide the crowning touch, I personally went to the cellar to obtain this magnum. Mum's very old, Cordon Rouge. Now, let us all enjoy this festive occasion. Oh, it's lovely. That makes me In spite of the fact that our sin had usually meant trouble, we did have a festive dinner. But after an hour or so, I excused myself. I went to the China trader's office to go over some final details on the cargo. It was another hour before I was finished and headed back to the ship. Night was falling when I got there. So I checked and saw the cargo gear was secured for sea. Hatches covered. Everything okay. Then I went into my cabin. My gangway watch, Nielsen, was backed up against the forward bulkhead. Two men had guns trained on him. Two more put the same drop on me. What the devil is this? Sit down. I can hear you standing up. I said, what is this? It could be harmless if you cooperate. I am called von Stoke. I'm glad to hear it. Now that we've met, take your helpers and get off this ship. Don't pretend ignorance, Captain Carney. Your crewman already told me that the Chinese Austin has been here on this ship. That is enough. I don't know what you're talking about. What is this, Nielsen? They don't know, sir. That fat Chinese came down with a package a little while ago. He said you were taking it for him. I thought it was all right to let him aboard. He'd been here before. Yeah, all right, Nielsen. Well, now you will stop the show of ignorance, Captain, and tell me where is the picture hidden. I'll make sense, will you? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know about any picture. I thought you would be reasonable. Martin, put him in that chair. All right, sit down. Come on. All right, lay off, will you? Martin, I'll watch him. You and Emil search the cabin. We'll search it all right. I hope for your sake, my father, Carney, that they come find that painting. I don't care how far you came looking for it. You're talking to the wrong guy. If we got here a day later, you would be gone. Then you would be the right guy. That our sin is a blundering fool. Well, go take it up with him, then. Ah, look here, Herr Von Stout. The painting. It was under the mattress on the bunk. Why, that dirty Good, fat... let me see. Ah, the warlord at rest. It is the one. Good. Now we have met success. Uh, Martin, the crewman, drive on follow. Hey, hey. on follow. Hey, stay away from that man. Sit down. Look. I'm telling you, you don't knock my crewman around. Martin, here. Put him down. Oh. Oh. Uh, come on, Skipper. Try and get this slug down. Come on. Yeah, go away. <laughs> come on, drink it. Uh. <laughs> you all right, Skipper? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No. Where's Nielsen? He's still out, but I'll get to him. Where's that Arsene? I don't know. He left the party just a little while before I did. Yeah. Who slugged you? 
guy by the name of Von Stott. Give me a hand, Red. I want to get up. Yeah. <coughs> Who's behind it? Us in? Uh, I guess so. What did they do with that book? That crummy warlord painting he was drooling over. He must have swiped it from the dame's room. Then he planted it here in the cabin, and Von Stott showed up with three gunmen looking for it. What? That, that stale picture? That mess? What are they, weak in the head? It's not worth five bucks, much less this, is it? I don't know, but I'm just about ready to go back to that hotel and find out. Which room is our sins, do you know? Yeah, it's 21, right at the top of the stairs. All right, you stay here, will you, Red? Right. Pull Nielsen out of it and see that he stays in the sack for the rest of the night. Okay. I'm going to see what I can do to pay Stinky for this knot behind my ear. of the Scarlet Queen is brought to you by Sheena's Jungle Room and Mid-Valley Mutations. And this week, brought to you by the Acme Home Depot's annual 4th of July sale. Is your beach attire lit? Need something for that backyard fire pit? We have everything you need at the Acme Home Depot 4th of July sale, where we offer deals worthy of this historic occasion. It's all part of our annual 4th of July sale at your local Acme Home Depot, where you can get deals and a whole lot more. And now, back to The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen. no attention to some of them things, I'll send, but that poor little helpless gal, that is different. If you... Connie, what in front do you want? I want to see Fatso. You make a most opportune entrance, sir. You find me in serious circumstances. Well, you can say that again. And once more for me. Captain, I beg of you, prevail upon Mr. Mangan. He is using me badly, sir. I am in dire need of your help. Help? You want help from me? Well, my dear fellow, is that such a strange request? You darn right it is, Orsin. Anybody that puts a poor, helpless little gal on a chopping block like you done, Miriam, don't deserve nothing but a fast kick in a pistol pocket. Oh, dear me, Mr. Mackin, I had never expected threats like that from you. And anybody that makes a pigeon out of a guy after pumping a lot of bilge about sincere friendship rates the same thing. From here to the harbor. Oh, good heaven, sir, do you mean you've been placed in the position of a... Pigeon? Yes, exactly. Here, this knot behind my ear. See it? Ooh. One of my crewmen's got one just like it. We got them from a guy named Von Stott, who came down after that painting you planted on my ship. He made off with the warlord address? Yes, he made off with it. And the only reason he didn't get it as a gift was because I didn't know where it was. Now, you see, Austin, you stirred up our fine kettle of fish. Yes, I, I must admit, I seem to have managed things very badly. Well, that is just for sure. Poor little Miriam disappeared. Now the painting's gone. It serves you right for taking it off of her instead of being man enough to get it off that Von Stolt. Indeed, I have erred most seriously. Gentlemen, we must regroup. Regroup? I'm going to do it someplace where you aren't. Yeah, during the fat don't sound like a good idea. Well, Captain come... and Mr. Mangan, my dear fellow. What? The, the situation does not affect the proximity of the painting, nor does it decrease its fabulous value one whit. Fabulous? Why don't we you must stop at that? once forget these slight differences which have risen between us and set out... Post haste to gain possession of it. I'm sure you're kidding, but in case you aren't, forget me. Well, perhaps if you understood, sir. Understood what? The canvas is in reality an original painted in 1590 by the fabulous Venetian Giomomo Robusti. So? Uh, it was wrested from one of Europe's most famous museums during the last great conflict by the armed forces of our common enemy, sir. 
It was recently stolen from its South American hiding place, brought here, and its identity hidden behind that gruesome daub, the warlord at rest, which was smeared over it. Yeah, well, it doesn't make me any more interested. It sounds like international law to me, and I had enough even on the outskirts. Well, indeed, sir, you surprise me. I took you for a man of spirit. Oh, don't listen at him, Corny. Thanks, Mangan, I won't. I just want to... Go back into that room, Captain, if you like this gun the way it is. Don't move, any of you. Move back, Captain. All right, Punchstock. My company wasn't any better before you dropped. Over there with the others. Well, well, I must say, Von Stoff, that your arrival is in the way of a surprise. I have come for the painting, and I want no delay. Oh, what old painting? This heat's got you low. Why don't you make Lord? up your mind, Von Stoff? I said I want no delay. Captain, due to the possibility that the painting is still hidden on your ship, my men have taken command. What? You won't board it until I say so. And I'll lock... But, my dear man, I had supposed since you so forcefully grasped control of the situation that you did have the painting. I want no talk. The warlord at rest is a fake, and you know it. I removed some of the paint and found bare canvas beneath. <laughs> a stunning surprise, sir. Is it possible that the journey for both of us has been a wild goose chase? A most disquieting thought, is it not? It is not my thought. I have you and another one of your clumsy attempts at deception. I have it from the girl herself. You have her painting copied. Then you led me to the ship. You thought I would take the fake and leave the island without examining it. Oh, tell me what a brilliant plan. But, of course, sir, that it was not the case. The girl lies. She would not lie with the methods I used to get the truth from her. What, what happened for me? Watch me, Corny. We're going to take that pocket. You there. What was that? What did you say? I was just telling my partner. Don't yes. move or I shoot. I was just saying what I got a right to say about any yellow hound dog that manhandles a woman. Never mind the talk. My papa would turn over in his grave if he thought any son of his and didn't fake his face. Sir. I thought it was I Texas see. temper and a soft spot in his heart for the southern bell. Until he moved in front of me. Then, when von Stoad ordered him to a halt, he stepped back toward me until his heels almost touched my toes. He stood with his hands on his hips as he talked. Then I saw why. He inched the back of his coat up with his fingers so I could see the pearl handle of the Frontier model coat he wore in his hip pocket. I took it out, slipped it behind me. Well, you just do something to her, you dead. And when Mangan stopped talking, I moved up and started in so he could get the cold out of my hands. It only took a few words. I'm sick enough of this to tell you where that painting is, von Stoke. You aren't stupid like the others. But I ain't through yet. <laughs> von Stoke's right shoulder jerked, then his left. Mangan had put both arms out of operation in the space of time between two heartbeats. Von Stoke staggered back, hit the wall, and slid down it to a sitting position. <laughs> Splendid, Mr. Mangan. And you, Captain, a thrilling moment, sir. I'm glad we're entertaining you. Well, don't you go thinking I've done this to help you get that blasted painting off, then, because I didn't do it for that reason. He's got that poor little gal hid out, and I aim to find her. First, I got to squeeze where she's at out of this pole cat before he passes out. All right, no, there, Mom. No, no, All right, there. No, no, you coming right on in this other room with me, and you're going to tell me where you got that little gal hid out at right now. Captain. Captain, with the admission that I've been a dismal failure. I ask one more thing. Now what? I beg of you, go with Mr. Mangan. Save him from himself. Realize that suddenly, sir, he has become a blindly infatuated fool. The barbs of Cupid, sir, that treacherous little imp, have bitten deep. You will go, sir. Yeah, I'll go. For one good reason, I'm going to need Mangan to help me clear my ship of von Stoat's gunman. And don't think I'm forgetting that you got me into this. Oh, indeed I shall not, sir. Mm. 
I fear the painful thought of it will bear me company for the rest of my life. Yeah. Unless you just happen to fall into that painting. Oh, yes. I am quick to admit, as must we all, that final success is a miraculous anesthetic. <laughs> Mangan and I left von Stoke, trussed up in our sin suite, and went to find Miriam Lou Parmalee. She was staked out in a room on the second floor of the European Hotel. She was gagged and lashed to the head and foot of an iron bed. Her face was bruised from open hand slaps. Her arms from hands that had twisted them. My kin was But her just spirit was right. undamaged. I knew that any... Well, I didn't think there was nobody so dreadful outside of the storybooks. I was so mad I could have spit. I think I did. Well, everything is all right now, honey. Sure it is, Miriam Lou. Just calm down. Well, if Lord. I had an inkling, just It'll... one little old inkling of the kind of men that I was going to meet out here, I'd never have come. I tell you that I never would have come. Sure they you... lied to me every last one of them. Well, whoa now, Shelby. You, you're too well, pretty now, to go I... throwing a tizzy I... like this. How was I going to know? A girl would just be silly not to come out here to paint with all the expenses paid just to do a tiny bit of cheating. Like they wanted. Yeah. But if I'd have known about those men, I wouldn't have come. No, I swear I wouldn't have come. Well, yeah. he hit me. He hit me and he slapped my face and he twisted my arm until I was, I, I was just so mad. I was so mad I couldn't tell him what he wanted to know. Well, don't you fret no more well, now, Shelby. I will Mary so. I will so. I'm just what? seething inside Mary and Lou, I am. I'm just... what, what did you do to make them so mad? Why, nothing. Was Why, it... not one single thing. Well, I, I tell you that I just decided that if that old picture was worth so much money and they was making me do all the work... Well, I just as much right to it as they did. I did. So I just packed it up. I just packed it up and I sent it on home to Shreveport. What's the matter? <laughs> Why, nothing, honey. Not a solitary thing is a matter. Well, after what I've been through, now, don't you think I deserve it? Why, absolutely, Miriam Lou. You know, you, you keep looking at me so funny, Mr. Lane. Oh, that's just my heart listening to you, baby. Uh, you got me looping, don't it? You're so pretty. Oh, now, Mr. Lane, sure enough. Hey, he's joshing with me. Isn't he? Why, Miriam, you've read enough storybooks to know a slave when you see one, haven't you? He's a slave? No, sure. Well, no, you're the kind of a lady that brings honor and glory to the South, honey. Thank you. From sheer natural beauty and nothing else. You know, you could just lead me around with those pretty words like that, Mr. Mangan. I just know you could. Well, I... I'm going to start in right now. Uh, yeah. Mangan. Oh, yeah. Uh, i got a little job to do with the captain first. Yeah, uh, thank you. I'm going to take you to your hotel and you stay in your room till I come back. And then, then we're going to talk this thing over. Oh, but I've told you everything honest crossed my heart and set me to spin, and I've told you every little thing. There's nothing more to say. Well, don't you fret nothing about that. We'll find something, huh? I'm darn sure of that. With the key to the situation a few thousand miles away from the action... The payoff was simpler than I'd expected earlier. Von Stoad fainted a couple of times on the way to the Queen, as much from disappointment at finding no old master under any of Miriam's paint as from the pain in his arms. But Mangan's cold kept him on his feet, and later kept him covered while Red and Nielsen and I paid back Von Stoad's helpers for the lumps on our heads. Then Mangan escorted them all off the ship. But we had one more visitor later that night. I was on deck, listening to the gramophone that's inevitable in ports of Chinese citizenry, and the soft breeze carried his jasmine scent before him. I saved him to climb up the gangway by crossing it to meet him on the dock. Captain Carney, 
There is great sadness in me. Lost your face again, Arthur. Please, Captain, I am a successful merchant, sir. And it is most unfair that a man of my stature in the world of business should be treated as shabbily as I've been today. Oh, come on, Arthur. Everybody knows it wasn't your fault. I think you put up a pretty game fight. Uh-huh. Even if Nielsen and I were the ones that got hit. Well, I'm glad to hear you mention my valiant fight, sir, for it brings me to the subject I would like to discuss with you. No, what's that? Well, the fact is, sir, that my valiant battle, my never-ending effort to succeed, is at this moment the one bright spot in my life. Oh. I am determined, therefore, to keep it alive. Captain, I would pay you handsomely for passage to Shreveport, Louisiana, so that I might continue my attempts to gain possession of that fabulous painting, sir, and thereby regain my face and reputation. Can't be done, Arsene. You refuse me, sir? You withdraw the hand that could help me? Yeah, I have to. Shreveport isn't a seaport. Very well, then. Since both you and the misnamed city are so uncooperative, sir, I shall endeavor to find other means of conveyance. But mark my words, Captain. I am at this moment en route to Shreveport. Good evening, sir. Mutations has been bringing you The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen. And this week, brought to you by the Acme Home Depot's annual 4th of July sale. Something that will make him swoon? Or maybe just some new spoons? We have everything you need at the Acme Home Depot 4th of July sale, where we offer deals that are so hot they can only be offered in July. It's all part of our annual 4th of July sale at your local Acme Home Depot, where you can get deals and a whole lot more. And now, get ready for the conclusion of The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen. By dawn that morning, we were en route to the Phoenix Group, picking our way out through Blanche Bay, past Vulcan Island, and into the wind that swept around New Britain. jumped to their stations, flexing fingers still stiff from sleep, throwing glances back at the island looming on our stern. Strong bodies leaned on the halyards. The whiteness of the mainsail slid smoothly up into the dawn sky. The jibs rattled up. Then the mizzen swung out, and the Scarlet Queen swung a curved wake as I turned her. And her bow spread in the figurehead beneath bows of the crescent of sun that was climbing out of the ocean horizon. That's a great morning, Skipper. Yeah, I guess we'll keep it, Red. Oh, that was a wonderful port. Lots of interesting people. The best the Orient, Texas, and Shreveport have to offer. <laughs> Wish I could make up my mind whether Miriam was stupid and honest or smart and crooked. Well, she's the only one who made a profit. That sounds smart to me. But the way she made it doesn't. And anybody who'd paint pictures like that warlord at rest. Yeah. <laughs> What a dame. Now, <laughs> Mangan can have him. Huh? I'll settle for hours. I'm kind of stuck on it myself. Here, Skipper. To the Queen. To the Scarlet Queen. After you, mate. After you. Log entry. The Catch Scarlet Queen. 5.30 p.m. Wind, fresh to moderate. Sky overcast. Sea cresting with high cross swell. Mainsail and mizzen reefed. Ship secure for night. Signed, Philip Carney. Master. Master. 
message of the Scarlet Queen has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. To another exciting edition of Dime Store Revelations. The show behind the scenes that gives you a little bit of a taste of uh, radio history, relevant trivia, all the nitty gritty that you've come to appreciate here on the program. And you know, for the 4th of July holiday, we have a pretty good chat going here with Mr. Fab. Scott67, Charles, uh, Space Brother, might be uh, retired for the evening, unfortunately. I think they went to go and uh, uh, do some barbecuing and, 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 and Fourth of July stuff. Um, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if there are some other folks lurking around in the chat. Sometimes that does happen from time to time. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, uh, happy Fourth, uh, everyone. Uh, hopefully this live presentation of... Uh, uh, music and merriment uh, from uh, the mid-century uh, is, is, is uh, treating you right here on this uh, 4th of July day. Every once in a while, I am tempted to uh, try to dig into uh, radio um, shows and find a thematically appropriate show to broadcast on the day that we are, um, are broadcasting. And, and it wouldn't have been too hard to find uh, some uh, pro-American or um, particularly patriotic programs uh, f- from the 40s and 50s. So that's a very um, uh, common theme in a, in a lot of radio from that, that era. So uh, I, I could have gone that route, but it was certainly something was telling me that um, it was uh, uh, worth sort of um, uh, just staying the course and presenting... Uh, as much uh, stuff as we could, um, just kind of in order uh, until we get to the real holidays this winter where I might actually start shaking some things up uh, for Halloween. Um, Yeah, you know, uh, I I think uh, I celebrated July 5th uh, as a uh, wannabe subgenius much more often than July 4th uh, as a, as a, a young lad. Uh, and so uh, July 4th was usually just a long weekend while I was waiting for uh, the, um, the exists to come down. Um, uh, and then they never did. And so uh, I, I, I kind of I stopped celebrating the July 5th. Uh, although I have kind of reconnected more with um, the hour of slack as, uh, as I get older. It's a lot there to, uh, to connect with, I think, actually. <laughs> I appreciate how they uh, started to embrace science uh, now since uh, the Trump administration essentially ignored science. Uh, so I, I liked that the uh, Church of the Subgenius always trying to be uh, contrary to the current ebb and flow of, of life. 
Yeah, they're probably out at the uh, Wisteria Park or, or wherever they're actually their new location is this weekend. So uh, any uh, subgenius out there listening, hello. I hope you're enjoying your, your weekend as well. Uh, this week, uh, we actually have a, a, a kind of down-home episode of Dimension X. Uh, um, if I remember correctly, I think it's George Lefferts uh, wrote this one. One of the in-house writers uh, for uh, Dimension X who, who uh, was either adapting stories written by other science fiction authors or just writing his own for uh, airing on the show. Um, and and, and uh, you know, usually uh, those stories have a kind of um, interesting uh, Americana flavor to them which uh, feels particularly appropriate for our holiday. But before we get into any of that, we're actually going to see another installment of the Ben Brooks uh, special that's been uh, developing the uh, history of radio the first 50 years. Uh, This is going to be part three today. Um, I I may have mentioned this before. This is a Westinghouse Broadcasting Company record that uh, I I found online um, that comes in a a 90 minutes total package. Uh, I don't know how the original record was uh, packaged, like if it was three LPs or what, but um, anyway, total timing is around 90 minutes and and it's got a lot of really cool samples of old radio broadcasts and things like that. However, Ben Brooks very much American-centric in his history and rememberings of uh, what was important about radio history. So uh, again, very appropriate for our holiday today. Uh, we're going to get some more American points of view on the history of radio. I'll try to find a good documentary about uh, some European and uh, other um, radio innovators uh, outside of the United States, because I think that would actually be a very good story. Anyway, let's get to it. Uh, it's Dime Store uh, Revelations here on Dime Store Radio Theater, and my name's Austin, and uh, what can I say? You guys are wonderful. You guys are beautiful, and without you, there'd be no program. Be seeing you. Folks who didn't have receivers heard the returns at country clubs, parties, and even in theaters. It was a kind of a multimedia spectacular, you know, because people heard it at the movies. The History of Radio. The First 50 Years. By Ben Brooks. Part 3. The first man who was hired for the sole purpose of announcing programs on KDKA was Harold Arlen, A-R-L-I-N. He remembers how it was in the early months of 1921 when the station was on the air for two full hours every night of the week, except on Sunday. Our first broadcasts really were not from a studio. They were from a tiny shack located on the roof of a six-story manufacturing building. We had a small room for the uh, transmitting apparatus and a still smaller room for the uh, phonograph equipment. We used this uh, arrangement through the winter. In the spring, we uh, moved to an auditorium in the manufacturing plant, but the acoustics there were not very good, so we went back to the roof and erected a tent, and we uh, broadcast from the tent. One night, uh, a storm came up and blew the tent off the roof. Uh, There went our uh, first radio studio. Following this, uh, we broadcast temporarily in the open air from the roof of the building, and uh, that reminds me of another incident. In the spring and early summer, the moths and bugs would fly around the electric lamps that 
we used to light the roof. And one night we had a tenor soloist on the program, and uh, while he was singing, he started to hit a high note, and he sucked a bug into his mouth, and he choked right in the middle of his song. About the uh, same time, we had a soprano soloist from Pittsburgh uh, who came out to East Pittsburgh. This manufacturing building from which our open-air broadcasts were being made uh, was located right next to the uh, Pennsylvania Railroad. This uh, soprano soloist came out all dressed up in evening clothes. She looked beautiful. But right in the middle of her song, a Pennsylvania train went by and blew a great cloud of smoke and soot all over her hair, her face, and her dress. She just kept on singing through the smoke and soot and finally finished her song. Harold Arlen, who was KDK's first announcer, recalls that introducing celebrities was one of his very first duties. When I introduced Herbert Hoover, he was at the Duquesne Club in Pittsburgh, uh, and uh, made a talk uh, soliciting funds for Belgian relief work. Well, the plan is particularly aimed to economic relief. Yes, the economic relief means the swinging of men's minds from fear to confidence, the swinging of nations from the apprehension of disorder and of governmental collapse toward hope and confidence in the future. I uh, recall particularly uh, Will Rogers, the... He came into the Pittsburgh Post studio one evening and uh, picked up a copy of the Pittsburgh Sun and uh, talked for 15 minutes in a very humorous vein just from the headlines in the evening paper. Now, folks, all I know is just what little news I read every day in the papers. Everybody's talking about what's the matter with this country and what the country needs. What this country needs worse than anything else is a place to park your car. What our big cities need is another orange in these orange age stands. I introduced uh, William Jennings Bryan from the uh, pulpit of the Point Breeze Presbyterian Church. But the great cities are in favor of the gold standard. We reply that the great cities rest upon our broad and fertile prairies. Burn down your cities and leave our farms, and your cities will spring up again as if by magic. But destroy our farms and the grass will grow in the streets of every city of the country. New stations followed rapidly in one city after another. WBZ in Springfield, now in Boston and KYW in Chicago, now in Philadelphia. Boat went on the air in 1921. The entire season in Chicago was opera. Just think of it. No sports, no popular music, no little lectures, just opera. Station WJZ in Newark was a success from the very start. As a matter of fact, Westinghouse started getting more phone calls about the programs than they did about their merchandise, which was radio receiving sets. I knew their first announcer at WJZ, Tommy Cowan, and he told me personally what he used to say on the air. This is the radio telephone broadcasting station of the Westinghouse Electric and Manufacturing Company located in Newark, New Jersey. We are talking to you now, ladies and gentlemen, with the idea that some of you out there can pick up our remarks. And if you do, 
please let us know. This is announcer Calvin Newark. And then he shortened it to this is ACN. This is ACN. And for a long time, other announcers followed his lead and used just their initials on the air. Tommy Cowan broadcast the first World Series game. It was on October the 5th, 1921. They put a man in a box at the polo grounds with an ordinary telephone, and he relayed the game to Tommy play by play. Tommy repeated it on the microphone. And do you know that when the game was over, Tommy didn't even know who had won, the Giants or the Yankees? Tommy Cowan was also responsible for the first broadcast by band leader, Vincent Lopez. It was on a night when another show was canceled, November 26, 1921. We had to go up a rickety stairs to the studio, which was a, an old coat room, they tell me. And they had velour, red velour, and to batch the carpet, an upright piano that's seen the war, and a little few stands around, everything in a circle. We didn't know what it was all about. There was a microphone right in the center. So Tommy says, uh, tune up. So he tuned up. I said, uh, what are you going to play? I said, I don't know. We didn't make up any program. He said, you want to just help you out? We're helping you out now. I said, well, play something. So I played Canadian capers. He said, now, say something. So I stepped down the podium, it was about a foot high, and walked into the mic and said, hello everybody, Lopez speaking, and right back to the microphone, I mean to the band again. He said, is that all you're going to say? What else can I say? I said it again. Well, after that, we played and played and played, and those times you could play for an hour or two hours. Time meant nothing. There was no program. <laughs> was indeed a big rush to get on the air. Newspapers, department stores, electrical companies, furniture stores, even laundries and banks were getting broadcasting licenses. Actually, it was as easy as getting a marriage license. Now, this is Jack Popperly, the chief engineer for WOR for many years. Now, I started with WOR uh, in February 1922, uh, about the time when uh, Bamberger's received the license to broadcast, and this license was issued at that time by the Department of Commerce. We went to Washington in the morning, prepared an application for a wireless telephone license. We submitted it to the clerk. The clerk uh, filled out a, a license, and we came back in the afternoon with a license. We bought an old DeForest transmitter, and uh, we promptly put it on the air, and uh, on February the 22nd, 1922, is the inauguration date of WOR. The History of Radio, the first 50 years, will return next week on Dime Store Revelations. Tune in and follow the story. And now, for our third installment of the evening, we present Shandu the Magician with... Roxor threatens death. Chandu, the magician. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We present for your enjoyment Chandu, the magician. 
and Bob Regan, exploring the small pyramid, find themselves locked inside one of the ancient burial rooms of an Egyptian king. When Frank Chandler finds them, he learns they have just seen the malevolent Roxor himself, who disappeared when they approached him. Piled up on one side of the small room are the objects buried with the royal family of old Egypt. But on the sarcophagus of the king is spread an assortment of present-day chemical apparatus. A moment later, Chandler comes upon a scrap of paper with a reference to Robert Regent. Chandu, the magician. Read it yourself, Dot. That's all it says. It could be done if we could obtain the help of Robert Regent. Robert must be right here. He wasn't with Roxor, Mom, that's for sure. No, Mother, or we'd have seen him. There must be still another room in here. It cannot be so, Dorothy. We've already seen three rooms, but Najee. These rooms were always built in groups of three, Dot. Three was a mystic number to the Egyptians. Now listen. Roxor went into another room. He didn't just vanish into the air. He probably went into the outer passageway. But the point is, he'll be back. And all of you must be out of here when he comes. Well, he knows we're here. He saw me. He doesn't know Uncle Frank's here with us. And he has no idea of who you are, Bob. Come along. I want you back at the hotel as soon as you can get there. I have to get the outer door of this place open. Take your candles with you. I'll need all the light I can get. What if there isn't any way to open it from the inside? There is. Whoever built the mechanism had to get out himself, you know. Better. You see, I told you when we were first locked in here. You didn't sound any too sure of it. You sounded as scared as I felt. Oh. Frank, if Roxor didn't know who Bob was... How could he, Doc? He probably thought Bob had wandered away from a party of tourists. Oh, Bob, look out! Huh? Oh, Betty, what is it? He almost bumped into that pile of chairs and things. I thought he'd knock them all down all over us. Oh, I'd be glad to be out of this place. Uncle Frank, I don't see how tourists could come in here. Neither do I. They don't. But Roxor may not know that. Anyway, he'll have to come back here to collect his chemicals and... Wait a minute. Hold your candles up. Yeah, look. Here's the way out this lever. In plain sight. Oh, let me work it. Go ahead, Bob. Oh, this is a pretty slick deal, you know that? And look up there at the wall. You'd never know from this side it was anything but a painted design. There's no time for that now, Betty. Go outside and walk around for a few minutes as if you really were tourists. There's sure to be a crowd of camel boys and guides around with other parties. At night? Well, coming out to the Sphinx by moonlight, one of the things everyone does in Cairo, Dorothy. Go on, now. I am to stay with you, Chandu. Oh, no, you're not, Najee. You've already put yourself in a dangerous position with Roxor. But, Chandu, I could... No. Have... You're going with the others. Oh, come back to the hotel with us, Najee. Fine. And remember, don't any of you leave it until I come back. Oh. <laughs> 
almost midnight. Where can he be? Oh, I couldn't wait longer at your bed. Has Roxol not come? No. And you mustn't be here when he does. I'm going to light the candle again. Don't you realize how foolish it is for us to be seen here together? But, John, you told him you'd be one of his agents. When he finds you've lied to him, Nadia, why run such a risk? You are here. We are two against Roxor. Do you think I can't handle him alone? No, no. It is only that I feel great danger about you. Nadia, you must... I will not go, Chandler. What am I going to do with him? You surely agree he's not to see you. If you wish, he need not. I will hide myself. But I know it is better for me to be with you. I wanted you out of this. I am in it, as you say, now, Chandu. But I will agree he should not hear us talking together. No, he can't come in without my knowing it. Didn't you hear the bell ring when you came in? The bell? Well, this one. I fastened a cord to the mechanism that opens the door. I found the bell in the burial room of the little prince. <laughs> you Americans. Well, I thought it would be ridiculous to sit here for hours in the dark... When the bell rings, I'll blow out the candle as I did when you came in. Now, let's see where we can hide you. I wish you hadn't come. Oh, the tall chair. See? It is higher than my head. Yes. All right. Get behind it so I can make sure. Quickly. There he is. I'll have to blow out the candle. <laughs> he has a flashlight. Don't let him see you. Good evening, Roxor. You know me by that name? Who are you? My name is Chandler. Chandler. So, I see you at last. I have heard you are in Egypt. Oh, yes. I've had plenty of evidence that you knew I was here. And Naji has told you of my place. Now that we've met, why not tell me yourself? First, I tell you this. Men who oppose me do not live. Soon there will be none who will dare. No. You are mocking me? Well, it's... It's a little hard to believe. Tell me, how do you propose to bring this about? Already I have much power. Already all over the world there are those who await my word. And when they get it, what then? I will rule the earth. I see. In the meantime... Tell me one thing, a small thing, but it interests me. How did you get into this pyramid? How did you know of these rooms? <laughs> All knowledge comes to me. It was Mustafa who told you, wasn't it? You must have paid him very well. What was that sound? I don't hear anything. Look here, Roxorm. If you're so open about your great plan, why did you make it so hard for me to find you? There were many things to be done. I admit you made them necessary. Did I indeed? You have stood in my way more than once, Chandler. I have heard of you from men of many countries. <laughs> now I have seen you, I wonder if the things they told me are true. Maybe I can help you. What sort of things? You are clever to convince so many people you are a wizard, a magician. Thank you. I know it can be nothing but trickery. Yet, it convinced intelligent men. You would do well to come in with me. 
You really think so? I have heard you care nothing for power. If that is so, you are wrong. Perhaps. Just what is this scheme of yours, Roxo? I will tell you. What is it that makes the difference between a king and a slave? Power. Why is it good to be rich? Power. There is nothing else to live for but power. Well, how do you expect to get it? For many years I've been working. You know I'm a scientist. No, are you? I have invented many useful things. One gas I compress in small tubes. One tube is open. (laughs) One city is destroyed. And thousands of people killed. What is that to me? Human life is scum on the surface of a dirty pool. And when you've destroyed it all, what good will your power be? Perhaps I have learned how to create life. A race of people who exist only to serve me. Me, the master. Now, what would you say to that? I don't know that I'd care to be one of them. You would not be. You would be a master also. I see. Just what would you want me to do? First, I want your secrets. Whatever it is you learned in India to make men believe you are a a magician. Is that all? I want the secret of Robert Regent. You sent a man to America to steal it. And a very good job he made of it, too. It was not you who drug my courier in Cairo and took the drawings from him? Why don't you just have Regent make you another set of drawings? It must have been Naji. She tricked me with her talk of black magic. But you don't believe in magic? You don't seriously think she's a sorceress, do you? No, no. That is something about her. Oh, she was just trying to impress you. But uh, we were talking about Regent. I have already told you. The record of Regent's experiment is the one thing I must have to hold the world in my hands. Like an apple. Well, surely he can duplicate it for you. Where is he? What was that? Wait, Roxo. Wait right there. I knew I'd heard a sound before. Roxo! I need a dog to spy on me. How oh, do you dare? Doctor, I knew John Lewis to come here. I came to warn you. You're lying. I will be rid of both of you. You see this small tube? It's the new gas. Get away from him, Najim. No, Chandu. Do not try to take it from him. He's insane. I told you. You told him? That was a long time ago, Roxor. Najim, get out of this place. No, she will not. And you will not. I have told you too much. You idiot. You didn't tell me anything I didn't know. I will go now by the small door. As I go out, I will throw the tube on the floor. Before either of you reach the door, you will die. <laughs> Good night, Chandu. Adventure awaits those who follow Shandu the Magician. We will be here again next week for another installment in his wild and exciting adventures. Tune in here on Sheena's Jungle Room. Shandu the Magician is brought to you by Mid Valley Mutations. Radio the way Grandma used to make. Our drama has come to a close. The Magician is produced and directed by Cyril Armbrister.
Chandu, the magician. This is the Mutual Don Lee Broadcasting System. Theater presents Dimension X with Hello Tomorrow. The National Broadcasting Company delays the start of this program to bring you a special news bulletin. From the NBC newsroom in New York, United Nations troops have begun a breakthrough from their beachhead in South Korea, launching an attack from positions north of Taegu for a drive toward Seoul. The new offensive is timed with a big amphibious assault at Incheon, which is progressing on schedule. Keep tuned to your NBC station for the later news. Adventures in time and space. Transcribed in future tense. Tonight, a story of the future and a star of the future. The story, Hello Tomorrow, and the star, Miss Nancy Olson, the talented young actress who is currently winning critical acclaim for her performance in one of the outstanding pictures of the year, Sunset Boulevard. Tonight, Miss Olson becomes the first of a group of the stage and screen's most promising young stars of tomorrow to be invited to appear on the program of tomorrow, Dimension X. Dimension X is brought to you by Sheena's Jungle Room and Mid-Valley Mutations. And this week, brought to you by the Acme Home Depot's annual 4th of July sale. A new computer interface? Or new duds to wear in deep, deep space? We have everything you need at the Acme Home Depot 4th of July sale founding fathers themselves are jealous of these deals. It's all part of our annual 4th of July sale at your local Acme Home Depot, where you can get deals and a whole lot more. And now, back to Dimension X. It was in the year 1991 that man disappeared from the face of the earth. The third atomic war had ended at last, leaving the land a mass of red radioactive dust, filling the air with gamma rays so deadly that life on the surface was no longer possible. There was only one way out. The few survivors went underground, burrowing their way deep into the earth like hunted moles, hiding from death in huge underground caverns. And it was there in the next 2,000 years that they built the new civilization, A civilization in which the genetic survival of the race came first, and every life and every law was shaped to serve that end. It is to this civilization, in the year of our Lord, 4,195 A.D., that we take you now. Yes? 
I have a call from the Director of Emotional Stability for the Third Oblong for Professor Lois Burton at the Institute of Genetics. This is Professor Burton. One moment. Go ahead, sir. Lois? Listen, darling, good news. What? The Genetic Board has approved our application for marriage. Oh, so soon? The tests filed our chromosomes perfect. We can marry any time we want. Our offspring should be genetically in the 19th percentile of perfection. What's the matter, dear? Oh, nothing. I, I'm just sort of breathless. You are happy about it, aren't you, darling? Oh, of course. Terribly happy. I'm coming right over to the lab. I have a surprise. Oh, not now, Walter. What? Well, I mean you'll have to give me some time. Time? What's the trouble? No trouble. It's that genetic survey I've been working on. What about it? Well, I've finally gotten permission to study an actual living case. A specimen of imperfect genetic transmission. Really? Yes, they're bringing him up from the condemned cages on the lower level. You will be careful, darling. The supervisor says there's nothing to be afraid of. The specimen they're bringing is, uh, XJ-12. It's been studied before many times and is quite well trained. Well, I don't like it. Nonsense, darling. I've been waiting for this opportunity for years. Oh, there's my door signal. I'll have to hang up, darling. See you later. Yes? Professor Lois Burton? Yes? I'm from the Philogenic Institute. Lower level. Oh, uh, then you brought me specimen XJ-12. May I come in? By all means. Oh, how... Horrible? It all depends on your viewpoint. I happen to have a twisted leg. My parents were genetically unsound. But then you... Yes. I am specimen XJ-12. I see. I hope you aren't shocked. No stable person permits feelings to enter into his work. I will admit to surprise. I was expecting something a little more uh, abnormal. Sorry, I try to be as abnormal as possible. If I am, the Philogenic Institute allows me out of the genetic cages every so often, so I can breathe the pure air of the upper levels and mingle with the genetically perfect. You seem quite well educated. I spent the first years of my life here in the upper levels. How is that possible? They segregate imperfects. As a small child, my mother concealed me from the director of selective heredity. I was brought up in secret. My mother actually, dreadful word, loved me. I see. That would explain your obviously low threshold of emotional control. If you choose to call it that. At first, you uh, seemed to be struggling to repress a few feelings yourself. We will confine ourselves to the impersonal aspects of our work. As you please. I shall require you as a demonstration for a lecture I'm delivering to one of my classes tomorrow. At your service, Professor. Sit here, please. Grip these electrodes tightly. I'm going to calibrate your electrochemical tension. I'm quite familiar with the procedure. Oh! I realize that as an imperfect, I'm expendable. But I should hate to be electrocuted. The charge is not lethal. Plus 15 surface tension. You know, you have beautiful hair. Uh, plus 12 at a depth of 4 centimeters. Lovely blue eyes... Crystal clear. Plus ten, seven centimeters. Pretty. A perfect woman. 
Lovely, expressive hands, and a heart of stone. Like all the rest of you, perfect survival types. Try not to jump, sir, when the current strikes. No feelings. Under control. Passed by the director of emotional stability. Shut up! Maybe I was wrong. Maybe you... You have feelings. That will be quite enough. I seem to sense an air of emotional tension. Nothing, dear. This is a specimen XJ-12. Oh, I see. An inferior type. Quite. You, specimen. Can you understand me? Yes. Yes what? Tell this doll who I am, Lois. This is a director of emotional stability for the third oblong. He also happens to be my selected genetic partner. You will address him as sir. Yes, sir. This creature seems quite impertinent. He's only a specimen, darling. I suppose. We'll use him and ship him back to the cages at the Institute. He's probably radioactive. You, specimen. Mr. Director. You will confine your speech to answering only those questions addressed to you. Understand? Yes, sir. Perfectly. Attention! Attention! The next demonstration will be conducted by Professor Lois Burton of the Institute of Genetics. Her topic, the probability of radioactive damage in the chromosome heredity of imperfect non-survival types. Professor Burton. We are very fortunate today in having obtained a specimen of an imperfect genetic type through the good graces of the Philogenic Institute. Moreover, this specimen has been trained to tell in his own words about the factors in his upbringing. Specimen XJ-12. Thank you. My mother was a psychotechnician in the fifth oblong. My father was a historian specializing in the records of pre-atomic surface culture. In the earthquake of 2170, apparently some hard radiation filtered down through the tunnels and penetrated the fifth oblong. The effect on my hereditary factors is quite apparent in this twisted lake. I appreciate that you do not laugh. Most audiences seem compelled to laugh. Perhaps you are different. If so, perhaps you can be made to understand somehow what it means to be labeled an imperfect. Perhaps in some way I can penetrate the insulation with which the psychotechnicians, the drugs, and the glandular experts have surrounded your emotions. Wait. As director of emotional stability for this oblong, I order you to confine yourself to the subject. My father taught me in the last days before he was executed that every human personality is born with certain inalienable natural rights. The right of free expression, the right to have feelings, and the right to mature, and above all, the right to be different from every other living organism, because every organism is different. I submit to you, distinguished students, that the attempt by this society to abridge these rights is a violation of nature. I say that the imperfects, the mutants, those who are different, have as much right to exist and be free as you. I say break open the cages. Free my people. Stop him. Give us back the right to be individuals. Stop him. I say... Ah! Ah. Professor Burton, 
Take the specimen back to your laboratory and confine him. Yes, Mr. Director. You, specimen. Go quietly, I warn you. I have nothing but contempt for your warnings. I'll have you destroyed for this. The specimen is unstable. He doesn't know what he's saying. Then get him out of here. Quickly. He's an affront to our genetic type. Hold still while I bandage your head. He'll be all right. I... I suppose you detest me for getting you into trouble. Don't squirm. Not that I blame you. I don't detest you. Oh. Oh. In fact, I thought you quite magnificent. You... what? As you spoke, something began to stir in me. You don't hate me. I've never felt so strange. Tell me what you feel. If I moved you, then I must have moved the others, some of them at least. I don't know quite how to explain it. A a strange sympathy. Compassion. For some reason, I took pride in what you were doing. Seeing you stand up against them. Why do you look at me like that? Because I can't help it. I wish you wouldn't. You're only an imperfect, you know. You have no rights. Please, XJ-12. My name is Oren. Please. Say it. Oren. Oren? Again. Oren. Lois. Oren. Lois, Lois, Lois. What is it? Why do I feel this way? In the cages they call it love. Love? We have no such concept in the upper level. You've destroyed it. Would it be correct to say, I feel love for you? It would be correct. I feel love for you. Darling, darling. Lois, what about Walter? You're going to marry him. No. You're genetically suited to each other. I don't care. I won't marry him. There must be some other way. But... (gasps) Walter! Very touching. Very tender. Walter, how could you spy? In my capacity as director of emotional stability, it is my duty to spy. Specimen XJ-12 will be disposed of quite systematically by the state. For the good of the state. For the good of the genetic code. And in the name of emotional stability. Dimension X is brought to you by Sheena's Jungle Room and Mid-Valley Mutations. And this week, brought to you by the Acme Home Depot's annual 4th of July sale. A new pet that's bionic? Or a retirement plan that's cryonic. We have everything you need at the Acme Home Depot 4th of July sale. With deals as fundamental as the Declaration of Independence itself. It's all part of our annual 4th of July sale at your local Acme Home Depot. You can get deals and a whole lot more. And now, back to Dimension X.
Come in, Lois. I wondered how long it would be before you came to my office. Walter, I have to talk to you. Go right ahead. Walter, you mustn't destroy him. Send him back to the cages, but don't kill him. You speak of destroying an inferior creature as if it were something unethical. Walter, Walter, please, for my sake. Lois, I understand that you've entered a plea for postponement of our marriage at the Records Bureau. Yes, I... I was too upset to go through with it. It came as a great disappointment to me. If you were married to me, you would be safe from influences such as this XJ-12. Which case, I might even be persuaded to send him back to the cages. Instead of having him... Destroyed. You see? Yes. I see. Think it over. Well, my dear? When can we be married? Soon. Tomorrow, if you like. The sooner the better. Lois. Lois, you make me very... What about XJ-12? Oh, I see. A bargain is a bargain. Let me talk to the custodian, please. Hello. This is the director of emotional stability for the third oblong. I would like you to cancel the execution of specimen XJ-12. Yes. Yes, that's right. Turn him over to the security guard. He's to be remanded permanently to the genetic cages. Let me talk to him, Walter. My dear, I don't think Please, that... I, I want to be sure he's all right. Very well. Hello. Connect a circuit in the cell block. I want to talk to XJ-12. Here you are, my dear. Hello? Oren? Yes. No, I, I'm all right. How are you? Fine. Oren, I... I've been talking to Walter. He's going to send you back to the cages. Yes. Yes. No. No, I, I'm going to marry him. Because I... I want to. I'm not lying to you. I... I'm very happy. Yes. Yes, I've, I've got to hang up now. Goodbye. Goodbye. And now, Lois? Walter, please. I, I've got to get back to the lab. Of course. I'll pick you up in, say, an hour, and we'll make plans for the wedding. All right? Yes. Yes, of course. Goodbye, Walter. This is the director of emotional stability again. I want you to cancel that last order. Proceed with the execution, but under conditions of absolute secrecy. No. Don't use the lethal chamber. Take him to the tunnels on the upper level. That's correct. Fine.
this way. Where are you taking me? You're being returned to the Philogenic Institute. Orders from the Director of Emotional Stability. Into the elevator. Very well. Why are we going toward the surface? The cages are on the lower levels. Radiation check. They've never done that before. New procedure. All right. Walk. Hawk, state your business. I'm the custodian for the third oblong. This imperfect is my prisoner. You can't go beyond this checkpoint. There's radioactivity in the tunnels. This is a special mission, if you know what I mean. Oh, I see. Just a moment, I'll open the airlock. Go ahead. You'll find two radiation suits in the chamber. We will need only one. So this is how they get rid of imperfects. March inside. All right. Plan around. Suppose I refuse. It'll be less painful if you cooperate. Before you dispose of me, could I give you a message for a friend? That depends. What is the message? This! Security! Help! Security! What is it? What happened? The prisoner, he struck me. Before I could recover, he escaped into the tunnels. Well, he won't last long. If the radiation doesn't get him, he'll starve to death. Can you go after him? I could send a robot, but it isn't worth the trouble. There's no way back from the tunnels except through here. Only other direction he can go is toward the surface. The closer he gets, the hotter the radiation. No, I think you can consider your prisoner dead. More wine, my dear? No, thank you, Walter. You look very beautiful, my dear. Very beautiful. Thank you. These hydroponic fruits are delicious, aren't they? Oh, uh, the wedding will just be a small affair. I've arranged for a few friends. The director of endocrine control, the chief of the security guards, one or two assistants to high council members. Walter, did... Yes? Was he returned to the cages? Now, why must you spoil this lovely dinner by bringing that up? Was he, Walter? Well... Was he? Well, as a matter of fact, there was a little difficulty. Difficulty? Yes, you see... He escaped. Escaped? He struck a guard and ran off into the tunnels. The tunnels? But that's death. He's free to return any time he chooses. When did it happen? Just a few hours ago, as a matter of fact. Walter... Now, don't don't become upset again, darling. You planned it, didn't you, Walter? Stability, darling. Stability. 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 Is that all I'm to hear from you for the rest of my life? Darling... Here's what I think of Stability. Well, we're not to be married. I'd be compelled to turn you over to the endocrine surgeons for doing that. Well, you can go right ahead, because we aren't going to be married. Checkpoint. This is the Director of Emotional Security. Yes, sir. Professor Burton tries to pass the checkpoint. I want her taken into custody. Well, Professor Burton just passed, sir. She said You that... idiot. But she said... I don't that... care what she said. Stop her. 
Ten robots after her. Get her back. I'll have you destroyed as incompetent if you fail. Yes, sir, at once, sir. Robot control. Checkpoint to robot control. Order out all televocal robots into the tunnels. Have them bring back any humans. This is a first priority order. Lois, why did you come here? It's suicide. I had to. Darling, are you all right? So far. You've got to turn back. Give yourself up. They'll kill me. You can't stay here. The radiation is plus four at this point. It gets worse as you approach the surface. Go back, darling. What will you do? I'm going ahead. But you can't. I can. I'm going to the surface. Not even the robots can cons- can survive it. At least I'll be the first human in 1,100 years to see what the surface of the Earth looks like. Come back with me. No, darling. Then I'm going with you. Lois. Don't try to stop me, darling. There's nothing to go back to now. Nothing but water and emotional stability. Lois, you... You really want to come with me? Yes. You know what it means? I don't care. Oh, darling, I can't let you go. Oren, I... I love you. See, I... I know how to say it now. Say it again. Oren, I love you. Lois. Lois, what's that? Sounds... Oh, Oren, it's the robot control. It's looking for us. Come on. We've got to hurry. This way. Hurry. Oh, and wait. Didn't get you much further, darling. The robot is gaining. Here, here, let me help you. I can't. I just can't. All right, darling. We'll stop here. We may as well wait for it. Oh, all right. Coming, I... I can see it's light now. Darling, listen. It stopped. The lights are swinging around. Oren, it sees us. Come on, darling. One last effort. Come on, run. Look. Look ahead. You can see the lights reflecting from something. It looks like a door. It is. No, it's just... It's a heavy lead door. There's a lever. Hurry. Come on through. Lois, there must be some way to close it. Here. Let me help you. It won't get through that. It's solid lead. Oren, where are we? I... I don't know. Look. Up there. A huge round light. Lois. Yes, Oren? That's... That's Luna. The moon. We're on the surface. How red everything looks. How it glows. It's the radioactivity. Quiet. Peaceful. Deadly. Oh, darling. Sit here and rest a while. Put your arm around me. Oren, I'm afraid. Oren, we're going to die. Don't think about it. Just think about us alone. The first humans to stand on the surface of Earth in 2,000 years. Lois, 
That door must have been placed there by the last handful of survivors who went underground after the atomic wars. Those are the lights. The small ones. They must be... stars. Oh, and I... I'm so tired. Go to sleep, darling. Put your head on my shoulder and sleep. Hold me on. Hold me very close. Sheena's Jungle Room and Midnight Mutations has been bringing you Dimension X. And this week, brought to you by the Acme Home Depot's annual 4th of July sale. Whether it's new apps and software, or new tonics for your digital hair, we have everything you need at the Acme Home Depot 4th of July sale, where our deals are as strong as the government our country is based on. It's all part of our annual 4th of July sale at your local Acme Home Depot, where you can get deals and a whole lot more. Now, let's return to the thrilling conclusion of Dimension X. Oren! Uh, Oren, wake up! What is it? Look, it's light. What? The whole universe is light. Oh, Oren, how beautiful. Look! By all the laws of nature, we should be dead. Lois, no life could survive this. By all the laws of nature, Oren. What is it? We're not dead. This is Earth and we're alive. We're not going to die. But the radiation, it's present. You, you can see its effect. Oren, did you ever hear of adaptation? What? There is a natural law of adaptation by which an organism will try to adjust itself to its environment by changing. It's called a geotropism. I don't see what that has to do with... All these generations, we've been bombarded by radiation filtering down through the Earth. Each successive generation must have inherited some degree of immunity to the effects of radiation. And you think that... Oh, and it can't hurt us. Don't you see? We're immune. We're probably the first generation to inherit sufficient immunity. But if that's true, then... Then we can transmit that immunity. We can pass it along to our children. Come on, darling. We'll have to find food and water. <laughs> the practical wife. Oh, wait a minute, darling. What are you doing with that rock? I want to scratch something on the outside of this lead door. Lois and Oren. Forty-one ninety-five. A.D. Hello, tomorrow. Tonight, Dimension X, the program of the future, has introduced a new star of the future, Miss Nancy Olson. Miss Olson appeared by courtesy of Paramount Pictures and may currently be seen in their production, Sunset Boulevard. Next week on Dimension X, the strange and sinister story of Dr. Grimshaw's Sanitarium. Tonight, Dimension X has transcribed Hello Tomorrow, written by George Lefferts. Appearing with Nancy Olson were Santos Ortega as Walter and Donald Buca as Oren. 
Your narrator was Norman Rose. Music by Albert Berman. Engineer Bill Chambers. Dimension X is produced by Van Woodward and directed by Edward King. You have been listening to Dime Store Radio Theater on Sheena's Jungle Room. Brought to you by Mid-Valley Mutations. We hope to see you again next week. Until then, be seeing you. Thank you.